I'll stand in trust. I'll stand in faith. I will not be shaken. Our God will not be shaken. And then listen to the chorus that we sang before that. He walks on the waters. He speaks to the sea. He stands in the fire beside me. I'll stand in faith. I'll stand in trust. Our God will not be shaken. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 6. That's the very heart of the message that God has for us this morning. We're talking about standing. This series of sermons started two weeks ago. We simply looked at Ephesians 6 verse 10 starting off. And remember Ephesians 6 verse 10, it says, finally, Paul opens that last farewell, that last passage. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That was the first sermon in the series. And so how then do we be strong in the Lord? Because remember it says, be strong. How do we do that? How do we be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? Well, we went to the very next verse, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. And why is it that it has to be the armor of God? Why is it that it has to be spiritual protection? Verse 12 explains that because we're not wrestling against physical presence. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against the spiritual forces of evil darkness. All right, so the very first sermon in the series, be strong in the Lord and strength of his might. How do we do that? Put on the whole armor of God. And this Sunday then, all right, so now let's take a look at that armor of God. Whenever Paul writes, stand, put on the armor of God, what does he mean by stand and that very first piece? It's the first and centerpiece of the armor, the belt of truth. And so this morning, let's look at this issue of stand and that first and centerpiece of the armor. It was back in 1975, wow, 75, 1975 that John T. Malloy wrote what became an iconic book in the fashion industry. It was called Dress for Success. Now, in 1988, he had to update it, all right, so it's been updated since then. But he wrote the book, Dress for Success, and in it, if you remember, there was kind of an iconic statement, kind of a, a quote that everyone kind of hooked onto. And it was, dress like you already have the job. Well, I want you to know that what Scripture does is take that a whole lot further. We're not dressing like we, like we already have the job. We are dressing because we have the job. There's a whole big difference. This isn't like we have the job. We have the job. We are followers of Jesus Christ, and we are called to stand firm. And though, so we're not dressing like we have it. Paul is saying, put on the whole armor of God because you are in God. All right, so John chapter 6, or Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start up in verse 13. Because I want us to get back into the... Con I'll tell you what, let's just start at 10 again. Let's start at 10. We're going to be focusing in this morning on, chap on verse 14. And boy, really listen closely. Because in verse 13, you're going to start hearing that word stand over and over again. So verse 10, Ephesians 6. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because it's a spiritual battle, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. This morning, stand Stand firm. Stand against the devil. Stand therefore. And we'll look at that first piece of armor. Our Heavenly Father. Lord, we can't do this without you. We need you. And so, Lord, please move in a powerful way. Father, I pray for those listening at home. Lord, I pray for these listening right now. Lord, I pray that we would hear from you. Lord, the things that... Uh, Lord, I heard Tommy, Brother Tommy, pray this morning, Lord, that I would say only the things you want me to say and I would not say what you don't want me to say. And Lord, may the Holy Spirit open our minds, our hearts. Lord, may someone be saved today. May they experience true life. And so thank you, Lord. Father, and we do, we pray that Satan would be kept out of this place. Lord, we pray that no one would walk out of here wondering where they would spend eternity, but that all would come to faith in Christ this day. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. May you receive the glory and the honor. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So Paul says over and over, stand. He ends verse 13, stand firm. He then repeats it, stand therefore. I mean, we start thinking, I'm I'm picking up a theme here. Paul is calling for us to stand. And so what, Paul, do you mean then by stand? It's because oftentimes I think in our modern minds, we we view standing as, well, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. I'm just standing here. And so standing means doing nothing. We go to Buckingham Palace. My wife and I have gotten to see that. Many of you have. Go to Buckingham Palace and there is an individual standing there. And I mean standing still, expressionless. And you think, well, they're doing nothing. Exactly the opposite. Whenever we hear the words, my God is standing beside me in the fire, I can assure you he's not just doing nothing. He is full of the authority of all of heaven and earth is in him as he stands in the fire beside me. So the same thing then applies to us. What does it mean to stand? Well, in the Greek, it means to be fixed. It means to be established. It means to be perpendicular. And so I'm not leaning one way. I'm not leaning towards the world. I'm not leaning into the flesh, but instead I am standing perpendicular, fixed and established. We're getting ready to have the start of the baseball season. Is anyone excited about that? Here we go. 
Start of the baseball season. Now, remember, the major leaguers won't report. When do they report? Another, are they, they're reporting right now, right? There's spring training going on. The, the four- and five-year-olds, they started back in January when it was like eight below zero. The four- and five-year-olds were out there. You got to get an early start on this. Okay, so, boy, when you see those guys come up to bat, they don't just walk up there. We never see that. But instead, it is a whole ritual that they go through. They're making sure that the gloves are right, practically dressing themselves over again before every pitch. And then when they get that first foot, I mean, it's every, hold, hang on, hang on, I'm not quite ready yet. The game, game is now into the fourth and fifth hour. He's still digging in and then get that. I mean, they are digging in. Why? Well, because someone's getting ready to throw a hard object at them at about 90 miles an hour. And if you've ever been with children, little kids, as they're learning how to bat, as they're learning how to bat, one of the first things that's hard to teach a child is that when you get in there, you don't back out. And man, that's hard. At first, it's easy because it's, it's t-ball. And the ball's just sitting there, and it's not going to do anything. And so I, I, I hit it, and then we move up to coach pitch. And so someone that you love and who loves you is standing there just tossing it gently towards you or throwing it like that. And then they move to machine pitch, and you get to where you trust the machine that the ball's just going to come just like that every single time. And then there's that moment. It's called kid pitch. And you see the change in that child's eyes as he threw that ball at me. <laughs> yes, he is. He's throwing it. When I was a little leaguer, I was scared to death of left-handed pitchers. For some reason, a left-handed pitcher was wilder than a right-handed pitcher. And then lo and behold, I marry a left-handed woman. And I found out it's all true. It is all true. Just kidding. Valentine's weekend. Okay, so you see that child, and boy, they get up to bat. Okay, now listen, don't back out. And so they're getting ready, and, and as that kid is starting to wind up, and as that arm, you see the feet start shuffling, and they start backing out. And so we had a coach that would put bats, line up bats behind the feet of the batter so that if you start getting that and you step on one, it's going to roll, and you can't stand up. And so they were trying to teach him, dig in, don't move. Our third son, Brandon, well, I know I'm biased towards my own kids, but our own sons, but man, that kid could dig in. I bet Brandon got hit more than any other person he ever played with because when he would get up there, if that ball was coming straight at him, he would just turn and take it because I'm not moving. If you know our son, Brandon, I mean... I'm not moving. I'm going to stand right here. I don't care what you throw at me. I'm not moving from this spot. That is the mindset. Do you remember the movie, Remember the Titans? Whenever the referees are, are throwing the game and they keep throwing a flag against the Titans and, and, and the, the team is getting discouraged and Coach Yost, defense on me. Oh, I love that scene. And you remember he says to them, I don't want them to gain another yard. Okay, that's the mindset. 
Satan, I'm sick to death. I'm sick to death of alcohol. Can I just say that? I am sick to death. I'm sick to death of his temptations. I'm sick to death of the sexual ills, the the wrongs that happen in our society. I'm sick to death of pride in my life. I'm sick to death of depending on so many other things besides our God. I'm sick to death of worrying about stuff. I'm sick to death of Satan. And there comes a point where we need to say, I'm done with you. I'm going to stand firm. And listen, it's not that we're saying, Satan, you throw your best shot. We're not doing that. We don't do it in pride. But we say, I have the God who walks on the waters, who speaks to the seas, who stands in the fires besides me. I will not be shaken because of Jesus Christ in me. That's what it means to dig in. And please know, you are in good company If you say, well, it gets hard, it does get hard, but you're in good company. What do I mean by that? The very God who created us, the God who saves us, the God who sustains us, Satan attacked him in God's own heaven, God's own home turf. Satan tried to withstand against our God. And then in Genesis chapter 3, Satan attacked Adam and Eve. And they did not withstand. But before you get out of Genesis chapter 3, God's plan is already in place. He will crush your head, Satan. And you will bruise his heel. He will die. But in that death, he will crush your head. Our God stood. The Israelites, for thousands of years, people have tried to wipe out the Israelites, and to this day, they still stand. In Jesus' birth, Satan tried to stop his birth. He tried to stop him as an infant. He tried to stop the life of Jesus in in his ministry. He tried to stop his ministry through the temptations. He tried to stop the death of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tried to stop the resurrection. He's trying to stop the coming second coming of Jesus Christ. He has fought against Jesus all along the way, and yet Jesus stands. And so you're in good company. Satan has attacked the church and he will continue to attack the church. But Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church stands. And so please know you're in good company. Whenever we talk about digging in, please know our God stood. Jesus Christ, our God, the Son, stood. The church stands. And you and I as individual believers, we make up the church. We are the church and we are to stand. Let me give you a third sum point under this standing. Please know the key is not focusing in on on the devil, on Satan, but focusing in on what you're supposed to do. And I want to tell you where we get that. You remember Paul all along here has been talking about the, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil. He talks about this, the extinguishing the flaming darts of the evil one. 
over and over again, we're hearing about Satan. But then what does Paul tell us to do? Stand firm. You don't focus in on what Satan's doing. You focus in on what we're doing. I heard this last week, my wife and I, that famous Winston Churchill quote uh, when he was talking to the, the evil axis, the, the evil powers. He said, you do your worst and we will do our best. We're not going to focus in on what you're doing. We're going to focus in on what we're supposed to be doing. And so that's why he says, stand firm, put on the whole armor of God. Stand firm, put on, fasten on the belt of truth. Because we're not going to focus in on what he's doing. We're going to focus in on what we're supposed to be doing. This last Wednesday night, and I want to invite all of you to come on Wednesday night. Folks, we fed upwards of almost 500 people this last Wednesday night. Wednesday in and Wednesday out, we're feeding almost 500 people. We have around six to 700 people that will be on campus. We have choir and orchestra this meeting. Jubilee Choir kicks us off at 3.30. And then we go into supper time. If you can't make supper, please come then at 6 o'clock. All the activities are starting up. We've got four incredible Bible studies that are happening right now that you can join in. I, do, I teach a, teach a mid, midweek Bible study over in the chapel. You can join in on that. This last Wednesday night, I was talking about the schemes of the devil. All the different devices that scripture shows us, all the different ways that Satan attacks us. But I want you to know I was teaching that so that our folks could be prepared so that when they see a device of Satan coming at them, they're able to recognize and know that is Satan and I'm going to stand against it. But folks, we, I'm not teaching them those schemes. Scripture doesn't explain those schemes to us in order for us to focus on that. But instead, we focus on the Lord. You've heard this illustration before that at banks, there's no way that a bank could teach a teller every counterfeit bill, what, what every single one of them is going to look like. There's no way because they keep manufacturing more and more counterfeit bills. There's no way of showing them every single one. All they have to do is get them to study the real thing. You put your attention on what a real dollar bill looks like, and then you'll be able to recognize all the counterfeits. That's the whole principle right here. Paul's saying, you focus in on what you're supposed to be doing. Don't think about the devil. And so going back to Little League Baseball, one of the things I missed about older baseball is that in Little League, you get to chatter out in the field. Have you ever been at a Little League Baseball game? It has to be. You remember what's the most annoying sound in the whole world? Ah, okay. Well, this is close to it, second to it. Little kids standing out there. Ah, swing, batter. And then as the kid's walking up the plate, the other little kid's in the other dugout. Easy out. Okay, so what does a coach say to his athlete that's walking up to the plate? You don't listen to them. You think about what you're up there to do. You focus in on the next pitch. You don't listen to what the enemy's saying. It's the same thing with us. Boy, folks, our minds can get so filled with the world throwing good advice at us. Oh, here's what you ought to do. Here's what the latest research shows. Folks, we can go to this is truth. 
the book Dress for Success, written in 1975, had to be updated in 1988. This book has not been updated. The same words that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in 70 AD are the same words we're reading today. It still stands. Don't listen to the enemy. You focus in on what you're supposed to be doing. And here's the last sub-point that I want you to see under that. Standing in the name of Jesus Christ is the greatest offensive weapon you have against Satan. What does Paul, in the midst of all the evil in that passage that he's defining, the evil one, the evil age, the flaming arrows, in the midst of all that, what is the one thing Paul tells us to do? Stand. Stand. Don't succumb to temptation. You stand. Well, Lord, what else am I supposed to do? Well, we'll get to that later. What I'm telling you to do, you stand. It's the greatest act and standing in the name of Jesus. Greatest act of offensive weapon, war against Satan. All right? So that's what we mean by Stand. So then what does Paul follow that with? Listen again to verse 14. Stand therefore, and here's the first and centerpiece of the armor, having fastened on the belt of truth. Boy, I love scripture for so many reasons, but one of them is because scripture always throws us a loop. Always throws us a curveball to keep the whole baseball analogy going. It's always different, and it's because God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We think about the armor of God. We get the imagery of the helmet. I mean, kids these days uh, hardly go anywhere without a helmet on. We've got to make sure they have a helmet on. We get that. A football player, they're not going to let him back on the field. And the way that they do it is they take away one piece of equipment, the helmet. You can't go out there if you don't have, we get that. We get the sword of the spirit. We get the shield of faith. There's such strong imagery there. And then we hear the very first thing is a belt. I'm a child of 70s fashion which if ever there was an oxymoron, it's the phrase 70s fashion. The same decade that I can remember wearing two pastel-colored polo shirts with the collar popped up. Somehow that was a good idea back then. But also went through this phase of not wearing a belt. Every time I came out of the house, my dad, son, you forgot your belt. That was an important article of clothing for my dad. But I thought, Dad, we don't wear a belt these days. It seemed unimportant. And yet here's Paul saying, the very first piece of armor, fasten on the belt of truth. Because we can't think in terms of that. This is a whole different ballgame when we're talking about the imagery that Paul was using. A belt was something that was broad. As a matter of fact, the breastplate on a soldier ended at the rib cage. And so from the rib cage then to where the, the armor on the leg started, you had this distance 
That's what the belt was to do. The belt was to protect the loins, the, the stomach and the reproductive organs. The belt was to protect the lower back. If you remember, if you've ever, you hurt in your stomach, boy, it is hard to do anything. You don't feel like doing anything when this is hurting. Lower back, you ever get a catch in your lower back, boy, it'll drop you to your knees and you don't feel like you can stand up. The belt protected this whole area, but also the belt is what enabled freedom of movement because a Roman soldier would have on a long flowing tunic. That was the first garment that was put on. That's to protect the skin against the breastplate and against the belt and all that. So he has on this long flowing. Well, in order, in order to gird up his loins, in order to get prepared to be able to run, the robe had to be pulled up and tucked inside that belt which is fastened tight. That is enabling him to have the freedom to move. It's enabling mobility. It's enabling him to keep from getting caught. You look at football uniforms these days. Man, football uniforms are so tight against their body. As a matter of fact, if you've ever seen just the jersey without the guy in it, you're going to think there's no way that massive human being is getting himself inside that jersey. It's so tight, and it's because they don't want anything that someone can grab hold of. Well, it's the same thing with a Roman soldier. The tunic has got to be pulled up to enable him to move and no one else to be able to grab hold of him. It's protecting the stomach, the lower back area, the reproductive. It's protecting all of that. But I want you to know the belt is also enabling him to be able to carry a sword. Because it was off the belt that the sword came off of that. And so whenever we hear that the first and centerpiece of the armor is the belt of truth, our first thought is, oh, that's not that big of a deal. First of all, the belt, but it is. And second of all, when we hear belt of truth, we automatically oftentimes think of the Bible and we say, well, this is truth. And so what it means, the belt of truth, is to make sure you have the Bible with you. That's that's not it. And the reason we know that is because later in the armor, Paul is going to talk about, be sure you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's where the Bible comes in. Right here, we're talking about something different. And so sub-point A, under point number two, why is the belt so important? Well, it enables movement. I can't do the things that God wants me to do unless I have girded up, unless I have gotten prepared with the belt of truth. I can't be protected against what the Greek mind viewed as the seat of power. They viewed the seat of power as this area right here. I can't be protected unless I have on the belt. I can't have my sword of the spirit with me without this belt. So that's why it's so important. Okay, but why then the belt of truth? Well, I want you to look at what the Greek word is for truth. You're going to see it on the screen. It's aletheia. As a matter of fact, it's where we get the name. The pianist for the Jubilee Choir is Aletha. And her name would come from Aletheia means truth, but 
I want you to see what it means literally. It means literally the manifestation of a hidden reality. Now, that sounds like $5 theology stuff, but I want you to know it's very plain. Listen to this. Truth is the manifestation of a hidden reality. Whenever a witness walks into a court of law, that witness has a reality that resides within their mind, within them. And the prosecutor or the defense attorney is going to ask questions in order for that hidden testimony to be manifested. That's why they say to them, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Because we need the hidden reality to come out. We need the hidden reality to be manifested. Friends, we are to have on the belt of truth. What that means is fasten on every morning the reality of who God is and who you are in him. That is the reality that is to be made manifest. That is the truth that we need the world to see. I need to see, I need the world to see who God is. I need them to see who I am in him, and that is the truth. That's the belt of truth. Because you see, if I ever start allowing deception to enter in, if I ever start trying to fake, if I ever start trying to uh, go the way of the world whenever I have Christ within me, I'm not going to be able to stand. But instead, I can stand whenever the reality, the hidden reality of who God is and who I am in him is made manifest. And so, folks, why then is this the first piece? Well, it's because the first thing that we're told about Satan is that he is the father of lies. John 8, 44. Look at the screen. You are, this is Jesus talking about the Pharisees. But listen to how he describes Satan. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He does not stand in the truth. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And in the Garden of Eden, the very first thing that Satan did was he lied. It is the first attack that he makes against you. Satan lies. He lied to Eve. He lies over and over again. And every single day that we live in Christ, he will lie to you. He will say things to you like, God won't forgive you for that. He will say to you, you've done too much. God doesn't love you anymore. He will tell you, God's mad at you. These are all lies. He will say to you, you're alone. He will say to you, there's no way out. He will say to you, you might as well give up. There's no hope. Those are all lies. He will say to you, you're worthless. That's a lie. He will say to you, you won't ever amount to anything. That is a lie. 
He lies over and over again, and the belt of truth protects me whenever I stand firm in who God is and who I am in him. It protects me against the lies of the devil. And so let's end with this. Stay right here in Ephesians. I hope you've kept your Bible open. Look at Ephesians 1 with me. The belt of truth. Let's always, always let the Bible be its own best commentary. And so, Paul, what do you mean by the belt of truth? Well, let's look at the word truth right here in this same letter. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 13 with me. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. All right, so what does it mean to fasten on the belt of truth? It means, Lord, I stand firm on the good news of Jesus Christ. I stand firm that there is only one who was born of a virgin, only one who lived a perfect life, only one who died for the sins of the world, only one who was buried and rose from the dead. There's only one who ascended and only one who is coming back. I will stand firm that there is only one way to have reconciliation with God, and that is through Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand firm on that. And folks, that is so unpopular in our world. But Paul says, if you're going to stand firm against the wiles of the devil, against the schemes of the devil, you've got to have on the belt of truth, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 4 with me. Chapter 4, look at verse 15. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Putting on the belt of truth means that I don't go around telling falsehood. I don't talk about false doctrine. I stand firm on Jesus Christ and the word of God, and I'm going to live that way, and I'm going to grow up in him. That's what the belt of truth does. Folks, if we're going to walk around in a world and let people know Jesus Christ lives in me, then, folks, we've got to speak the truth in love. We've got to let people know here is the only way of escape. Whenever someone says to us, well, here, here's, what we're, here's what we're thinking about doing. We're, we're thinking about we're just not going to give to the church anymore. And we say, well, whatever you need to do to make you happy. Okay, that's not speaking the truth in love. We're going to live together before we get married. Well, if, if, as long as it saves you money, as long as you feel good about it, that's not speaking the truth in love. That's not growing up into him. Look with me. Look at 421, 421. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus Fastening on the belt of truth is I'm going to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to speak the truth in love growing up into him because he is the truth. It is not, the living the Christian life is not Jesus in me, it's Jesus through me. Boy, I know that's just a change in preposition, but it can mean all the difference in the world. As, as followers of Christ, we know Jesus is in me. But friends, I want you to know living the Christian life is Jesus through me. 
That people see Christ the way I respond to them is the way Christ would respond. The way that I look at a woman is not the way I would look at him with eyes of flesh, but I would look at a woman in the way Jesus would look at that woman. That's what it means to fasten on the belt of truth that I am sincerely, wholeheartedly committed to who God is and who I am in him. And so, to this day, you hear people talk about, I hear this on on sports animal radio all the time. Well, if we could just inject him with the truth serum, in other words, we'd really get to the truth if we could just inject him with the truth serum. Well, there are a whole collection of psychoactive drugs that they call them that Sodium, I don't know, thiopental or theopental or something, all these drugs that supposedly you could give to a person and what is the hidden reality all of a sudden would come out. There would be a manifestation of a hidden reality if we could just give them a truth serum. Folks, if you are in Christ, there is a far greater truth serum already in, in you. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the truth that the world needs to see, who he is and who I am in him. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that this day, if someone is is out here, Lord, they're, they're thinking, if people only knew, who I am. If people only knew the stuff, Lord, I'm so thankful that we are fully known by you. You know who we are and we are fully loved. That, Lord, you'll love us in spite of all the sin in our life. And, Father, that is the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Lord, that is the truth that have everlasting life. And Lord, I pray that someone this morning would come to the truth. Lord, they would stop trusting all the other gods of this age, all the other gods of this world, that they would stop listening to all the falsehoods that, that are out there. But Lord, they would listen to the truth of our God. And so Lord, may someone be saved today. May hearts be recommitted to you, Lord. Add to us and call out from us. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? This is the invitation. We're inviting you to respond to the Holy Spirit of God's call upon your life. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. If you need to come and pray, come and pray. If you need to recommit your life, you come as the Holy Spirit leads. You come.